Lord Jesus, you are great. You are awesome. We love you. We praise you. Lord Jesus, you're the great and mighty God, the creator of the universe, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see. To him be the glory throughout all the ages. Lord Jesus, you are magnified. You are exalted. You are real. God, and if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't see how real you are and how true you are, Lord, I pray that you'll open their eyes, not by might, not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pull the veil back and let them see your glory and your power and your majesty. For it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. If that's your prayer, say amen. Amen and amen. You may have a seat. Mm. Praise the Lord. Well, here we are in 2024. New year started. Great to see everyone this morning. So glad to see you guys. This morning, we're beginning a new book. We are beginning a new journey through a new New Testament book. It's called the Book of Acts. And I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this study for months. But uh, you ever been going down the road? Maybe you have, maybe you have. You ever been going down the road and you see all these churches? There's churches everywhere you go. Where did it all begin? Where did the churches begin? Now, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people that gather in the churches. Where did the church begin? Well, that's what we are going to be studying for the next six, eight, nine months. I'm not sure how long the Lord will take us, keep us in this book. But as we travel verse by verse through the, the book of Acts, we're going to see the birth of the church. And the title of my message this morning is Christ is Exalted. And so this morning we're going to study Acts chapter 1. And there's three things I want you to see in Acts chapter 1. Number one, we're going to see uh, Jesus' ascension and that Christ is exalted. But then we're also going to see how to live a noble life. How to live a noble life. So we're going to see Jesus exalted. Then I'm going to talk to you this morning about how to live a noble life. And then, at the end of the chapter, we're going to look at how to waste a life. How to waste a life. You know, life is about decisions. Your life, your destiny, your life, your eternity uh, will, will be the result of the decisions you make in this life. You need to make wise decisions on what you believe who you trust in, and who you live your life for. But we're going to see this morning a noble life versus a wasted life and the Lord Jesus Christ exalted. So y'all ready to get into it? Let's do it. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we study Acts chapter 1 this morning, Father, open our hearts and let us see everything that's written in this first chapter and help us, Lord, to take it to heart. For it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The first account I composed, Theopolis, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. The first thing there in verse 1, he says, The first account I composed to you. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. And the Acts, excuse me, is actually volume 2 of two books that he wrote to Theopolis. The first book was what? Luke. 
the Gospel of Luke. So the book of Acts is actually a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. The name Theopolis, it comes from two Greek words, Theo, meaning God, uh, Philo, meaning love. The name Theopolis means one that is loved by God. And if you love God and you love Christ and you understand his love for you, you will love this book. This is God giving his beloved children the blueprints for the book of Acts. You see, everything the church does should be based in scripture. Okay, We don't base our doctrine, our theology, our practices on the traditions of men or our own thinking, or our own creativity, or our own pragmatism, but we base it on Scripture. So what we see in the book of Acts, we apply to the church. What we see in the epistles, we use as our guide for how we, um, we do church. So this is very important. As people that love God, we want to honor God by doing church God's way. Amen? Verse 3 says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. We know from, uh, it was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection that Pentecost takes place, which is in Acts chapter 2, because the word Pentecost actually means 50 days. So we have 40 days from his uh, resurrection this is taking place, and what he does is he presents himself to his disciples and to the apostles with, what does it say? With many convincing truths, many convincing uh, proofs, excuse me. Jesus gave his disciples evidence of his resurrection. I want to remind you of a couple of them this morning that's recorded at the end of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Number one, he appeared to the disciples at the uh, mountain in Galilee. Number two, he appeared when they were all seated in a room, and he just came through the door. He appeared to them post-resurrection. Jesus appeared to Thomas and told him to stop doubting and touch his side. Y'all remember that one? Everybody knows that story. And Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. Um, the, uh, number four, Jesus appeared to Cleopas and the stranger on the Emmaus Road. Uh, number five, he appeared to Peter and the disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus had a fish fry with his disciples there at the Sea of Galilee that we read, we read about in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus had the famous, do you love me conversation with Peter and the feed my sheep conversation with Peter by the Sea of Galilee. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 6 tells us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. The point is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not made up. It is historical fact. It is the foundation of our faith. Without the resurrection, you have no faith. Without the resurrection, it makes no sense. Okay? But with his death and his resurrection, it brings it all together. This is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And anybody who denies the resurrection of Jesus is a false teacher and is in heresy because that is the foundation of Christianity is the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ was laid in a borrowed tomb and he rose from the grave and he started off there in the early church there at the end of the gospels giving many convincing proofs of his resurrection over a period of 40 days according to verse 3 
Then verse 4 says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father, wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What was John's baptism for? John's baptism, baptized with water. What was that for? That was for repentance. He was calling the nation of Israel to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn from unbelief, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what his baptism was. But now Jesus' baptism is what, verse 5 says, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And also it says that this is the promise of the Father. This is the promise of the Father. This promise of the Holy Spirit is for whosoever will turn from sin and trust in Christ. It is the promise that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends and family, this promise is for today. This promise to be filled with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is a promise that's given to us today. When you open your heart and invite Christ to come into your life, he comes and lives on the immaterial part of the inside of you called your spirit. And it's the gift, it's the promise. Acts chapter 2 verse 39 says this, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Talking about looking into the future, looking into 2024, and seeing people at Calvary Chapel Irma this morning hearing the gospel, he wants, to know, wants you to know this Holy Spirit is for all people. It's for far off, for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So remember, salvation is like a coin. It has two sides. John's message was repent, repentance, and Jesus' message was be filled with the Holy Spirit by believing in Jesus. We repent and believe the gospel. We trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And it's just, just as it was real in the first century, so it is real today. Amen? Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Man, the disciples are stoked. Man, they are jumping, man. They're, they're thinking eschatology, man. They're thinking, you know, they, they had been under Roman... Israel had been under Roman rule for a very long time, and they wanted to be liberated from Rome. So they're thinking in their minds, wow, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to set up his kingdom, his millennial kingdom, and set us free from the tyranny of Rome. A lot of people today like to think about this, like to think about eschatology. I like to think about it a lot, you know, wondering, when will Christ return? Look at what Jesus says in the very next verse. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know, there's one thing a Christian should never, ever, ever do. And that is attempt to set dates. Christians, we do not set dates and we do not predict when Christ will return. We don't do that. We know he's coming. We know he has fixed a day, we, he is, he's fixed a moment where he's going to split that eastern sky, but scripture prohibits you and I from date predicting and trying to say he's coming on this date or that date. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, 
not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You know, if I hear someone setting a date for Jesus' return, that's a warning flag for me. That's a warning flag for me because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. There is only one who knows the date, and that, according to Scripture, is God the Father. We, we wake up every morning. We fix our cup of coffee. Jesus hasn't returned yet, so what do we do? We ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this day? You've appointed this day for me. You've given me this day to serve you, to live for you. Who can I witness to? Because this, your day is coming, but not today, not in this moment. Could be before I finish this message. Could be tomorrow. Could be 10 years from now. We don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. But we live, we live like he's coming tomorrow, and we plan for the future like it may be a while. Amen? All right, look at verse 8. Verse 8 is... Um, Verse 8 is where I am pulling out how to live a noble life. How to live or how to make the most of the Christian life. Here it is, right here, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And here it is, even to the remotest parts of of the earth. Verse 8. Friends, this is how you make the most of life. The highest honor, okay, the highest honor and the most noble cause that you can take on in this life or that you can submit your life to is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be a witness for Him, okay? Being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in this world is the highest honor, okay? Is the most noble calling that you can take on in this life. You are at the pinnacle of being used by God, of serving your master, of living for him by committing your life to be a witness, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors. You and I, friends, we are ambassadors for Christ. That name just brings prestige and honor because our great and awesome and powerful king is seated on his throne and you and I get the honor of representing Jesus to this world. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Our job in this world is to present the gospel to people to explain to them that they need to repent of their sins. They need to trust in Christ, to, to be a witness to them. That is the highest calling and the most noble thing that you can do in this life. We are ambassadors on a noble mission to point the world to our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, to tell people how to be saved through repentance and faith in Jesus, to experience the new birth. We're not here, we're here to let them know about the love and the grace and the truth that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are doing that, you're at the highest level of a noble life, being a witness for him. You know, being a witness, the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes our life. It takes out the things that were displeasing to God 
and it gives us a new heart, and it gives us a new desire. In, in this new birth, in this power of the Holy Spirit, verse 8, you want Christ to be magnified in your life. You're like, let my spouse see Jesus in me. Let my children see Jesus in me. Let the world see Jesus in me. That's what it means to be a witness. Is our, our number one goal in life is that people see our Lord and Savior in our life. And that, that gives us the window, the door, the opportunity to share the gospel. And very important, verse 8, we receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We don't do it in our own strength, okay? We don't do it in our own strength, but we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you take your Christian faith serious and you're living for Christ, understand this, you are partaking of the highest calling in life. And the most noble thing that you could do is living for Christ and telling your friends and your loved ones about our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his name and his name alone brings salvation. His name and his name alone brings peace in our life. His name and his name alone brings reconciliation. He's the solution to every problem we face in this life. Once a, a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, once they become born again, he just has an amazing way of working everything out. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it comes from us living this noble life and being a witness for Christ. So my hope and my prayer is that you see your ministry to the world as the most noble thing that you could do in this life. And it is the, the highest calling that you can partake of. Let's continue, verse 9. Verse 9 says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up. And while they, while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Can you imagine this sight? The disciples are standing there, and Jesus is taken up into heaven. He's defying the laws of gravity. He's defying the laws of nature. How is he able to defy the laws of nature and defy the laws of gravity? He is the supernatural God. And they're looking up as, as, as he is being taken up. And Jesus Christ, in this moment of being ascended in a cloud hiding him from their sight, he is leaving planet Earth. He is going through the heavens and he's going to his rightful place to where he was before creation. And that was at the right hand of the Father, glorified, exalted. This salvation in Christ, no one can touch. No one can change. It's permanent. It's eternal. Because Jesus Christ is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Christ is exalted. And our heart cry down here on, on earth as it was in the first century for the disciples, as it is for us today, is, Lord, be magnified in my life because you are at the right hand of the Father. It's, it's amazing. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount 
called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brother. Notice what they were doing. They were all, verse 14, they were all with one mind, and they were doing what? They were devoting themselves to prayer. Jesus had ascended to heaven. He left the earth. He was no longer with them. But yet Jesus spoke of this promise, this promise. And they were probably confused. They were probably uncertain of what was fixing to happen. But it's important to understand what they were doing. They were praying. They were seeking the face of God. They were having communion with God, saying, Lord, what is it that you're going to do? What is it that you're going to bring? It's very important when we find ourselves in a place in life where we're not sure where to go, we're not sure what to do. You know, we're, we're walking with God, but we need direction. We need to do the same thing. And that's spend time in prayer and fellowship with our God. And let the Holy Spirit show us. So verses 12 through 14, they all return to Jerusalem. But then Peter realizes something's wrong. Something's not right here. Judas Iscariot is no longer with them. And he must be replaced. Now, we saw earlier in the text how to live a noble life. How do we live a noble life? By being a witness for Christ Jesus. This same chapter, uh, Luke commits the second half of this chapter to a wasted life, to the explanation of this is how you waste your life. So to live a noble life, honorable life, be a witness, now let's learn together what it means to waste a life. Verse 15, at this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he, here, I sense frustration and heartbreak in Peter's voice in verse 17. Look at verse 17. For he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. I could see Peter's being perplexed, being frustrated, some heartbreak in his voice. It says in verse 17, Judas was what? Counted among us. In other words, Jesus was part of them. Jesus walked, Judas, excuse me, Judas walked with Jesus. Judas talked with Jesus. Judas dipped his morsel in Jesus' cup at the Last Supper. Judas Iscariot was a part of the ministry. And what does he do? Judas betrays. He betrays Jesus. You know, we, we talk about, man, if I could only see Jesus, if I could only walk with him. Judas walked with him. Judas saw him. But the evil in his heart caused him to turn away from Jesus. This is tragic. This is a wasted life. Go with me for a minute. Think about someone you love. 
Think about someone in your life that you love dearly, that you're very close to. Someone that you care about. Someone you deeply love. That, you, that, that your heart bleeds for this person because you love and care for them so much. Their devotion is the same towards you. Imagine that person turning their back on you. And even worse, even worse, making a plan to kill you. That is betrayal. Judas knew who Jesus was, but he did not want to follow him. His heart was not in it. He wanted the fame, but Judas did not want faith. He did not want true discipleship. Think about it. He traded eternal life for 30 pieces of silver. And how many people in this life, they choose the things of the world over the things of Christ? And what they fail to realize is, because they're blinded by sin, is they are being deceived. They're being deceived, and they're being led astray. Remember, the highest honor in this life, the most noble thing that you can do in this life, is live your life for Jesus. And anything that pulls you away from that is, is pulling you into darkness and causing you to waste your life. In John chapter 17, verse 12, Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition. That phrase means man doomed to destruction. Judas was doomed to destruction because he chose the world over Jesus. He chose the world over Jesus. Judas Iscariot is an example of a life wasted. Hang on with me now, okay? Let's continue this because it's going to get rough here in a minute. I'm just going where the word goes. Where the, Pastor David is an expository teacher. He teaches verse by verse. If the scripture emphasizes it, I'm going to emphasize it. So hang on. Look at verse 18. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, of his wickedness. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. What a disgusting death. What a disgusting way for Luke to write in the Holy Scriptures uh, the, the details of his death. We read throughout the Bible people living and dying, but none of them, they don't always give us the details, but Luke gives us the details. Luke gives us the graphic details of his death. I believe there's a very important spiritual truth here that in Luke describing what is happening to Judas's body in verse 18. Verse 18, specifically, all of his intestines gushed out. This is a picture of a person who abandons the faith and turns away from Jesus after knowing who he is. This is a physical picture of what's taking place in the spirit realm when someone apostatizes or turns away or turns their back on God. I'm not talking about falling away or struggling. I'm talking about someone that just, that just apostatizes, abandons the faith, and refuses to live their life for Christ. Now, I'm not trying to gross you out. But I just want to be faithful to the text. This phrase, the intestines gushed out. Have you ever seen a dead animal on the side of the road? It's all bloated and swelled up. We call that roadkill. Once an animal dies, 
the bacteria in his body begin to feed on the internal flesh. This produces a methane gas, causing the dead animal to swell. Eventually, under pressure, it burst. Is that disgusting? Very disgusting. And I really struggled whether I was going to share it or not. I really wrestled with it. But the reason I share it is so that we will feel the same repugnance towards darkness, sin, and rebellion. It should gross us out. The thought of us turning away from Christ. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. Please forgive me if this offends you. I don't want to ruin your lunch, but you need to understand. Verse 18, it is written, is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. And I would add to it a grotesque death. So many people live life without Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Anyone who chooses to follow the world, sin and darkness, over faith in Christ, they are wasting their life. They are wasting their life. Friends, listen to me clearly. I want to wrap this up here. Well, I'm gonna, actually, there's more, but I, w- I want to wrap this up concerning verse 18. You were put here on planet Earth to know God. That's your highest calling. That is the reason you are here, is to know the creator of the universe and to make him known. This is the highest honor and the most noble thing you can do with your life. But to reject or walk away from it is a life wasted. And that's all I'm going to say about that, is we love Christ. We follow Christ. We want to honor Christ. We want to live a noble life. And I don't know about you, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I want to make my life count for the most, and I hope you do too. And our life counts for the most when we live to honor Jesus Christ. It doesn't end there. Look at verse 19. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called Hakadima, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, and no one dwell in it. Friends, this is the legacy of sin. This is the legacy of sin. You know, the intestines gushed out, verse 18. Verse 19, this place is called the field of blood. Verse 20, quoting from Psalm, let his homestead be made desolate. That This is the legacy of sin. Judas is a rotting corpse in a desolated desert desert plot known as a field of blood. And verse 19 says, it was known to all. Nobody came to his rescue. Nobody came to help him because he had made up his mind to turn away and apostatize to, to turn away from God. Sin and rebellion, sin, rebellion, and unbelief destroy life. Jesus gives life. That's the point I'm making here. My prayer this morning is, Lord, help us understand the serious nature of unbelief and rebellion. It is a very dangerous place to be. It will take you down a path you don't want to go down. So the Bible says, guard your heart, guard your mind in Christ Jesus, and stay strong in the faith, and live to honor and glorify 
him. Amen? So, they, so now, so Judas is gone, and now they have to replace him. We pick it up halfway through verse 20, and it says, And let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And look at verse 24. And they did what? They prayed. We saw that earlier as they, as, they, as they left Galilee and they come back to Jerusalem. What were they doing? They were praying and seeking the face of God. What are they doing here? They're praying and seeking the face of God. Friends and family, before every decision you make, before every meal in every day, before every major decision we make as we move forward in life, we need to pray. We need to pray. My wife was reminding me this week, we face so many decisions with church and ministry. And I was, I was talking to her about a, a particular situation in, in the fellowship and a possible ministry. And you know what she said to me? She said, two questions. Have you prayed about it? And what did the Holy Spirit say? We need, to, we need to have that attitude in everything we say and do. When we're making big decisions in life, we need to pray about it, and then in faith, trust the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts so that, he, that we know where to go, so that we know what to do. We won't fail when we bring it to the Lord and we're led by his Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but in my situation, when I don't pray and I don't hear from the Holy Spirit, I get it wrong a lot. But I'm learning as a pastor, i got to depend on prayer and the Holy Spirit more and more each day. And I hope you do also. But we got to pray. Verse 24, it says, and they prayed. You know, I, I, I still got to think about that for a minute. And they prayed. These guys were eyewitnesses of Jesus. These were apostles. If anybody had authority, it would be the apostles. But the apostles prayed. And they sought the Holy Spirit's leading and the Holy Spirit's guidance. Boy, that's just a humbling thing for me to think about again. I'm kind of I'm going over this one again. But we got to pray and hear from the Holy Spirit in every decision we make. Verse 24, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Judas turned aside. You know, it's my, my belief that if Judas would have genuinely repented, that God could have forgiven him and God could have restored him. But it says Judas turned aside. Judas made a deliberate choice to rebel. He was enticed by the, the money. He was enticed by the things of this world. And he was led astray. He turned aside to go to his own place. In verse 26, our final verse, and they drew lots for them, and a lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. That is Acts chapter 1. Again, going back to what I opened up with, 
We see the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1 exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven on his glory, on his glorious throne, receiving worship from all the angels. We are, and we have his word that gives us his instruction, his inspired, infallible, inerrant word that leads us and guides us to have fellowship with him and how to be a witness. But then we also see in this chapter how to live a noble life, how to, how to live a life that matters. You want to live a life that matters? Be a light for Jesus. Be a light for Jesus. Share his grace. Share his love. Share his truth. Tell people your testimony. You know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to talk to people about the things of God. Share your testimony. Say, hey, can I share with you? what God did for me in my life, and share your testimony. Share the gospel. Share how you came to Christ. And you are embarking on the highest calling, the most noble thing you can do. Yet on the flip side of that, to apostatize, to abandon the faith, to turn away from God, to take the Bible and say, I don't want no more to do with this. I'm done with this. That, my friend, is a wasted life. Lord, help us understand the serious nature of unbelief and rebellion. And I have seen Christians, people that profess faith in Christ, to do exactly that. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. When I see people apostatize, people walk away. I'm not talking about falling away or struggling now. I'm talking about they just completely abandon faith in Christ. It causes my heart to grieve. I don't judge them. I pray for them. I pray for them. I love them. And, and I do everything I can to lead them back to Christ and to be a witness. My prayer this morning, my prayer this, for us this morning, is to help us all this morning see the noble and high calling of following Jesus. And it's also to help us understand the serious nature of sin and rebellion. And most importantly, to help us all see the love displayed for us at the cross. Amen? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not been born again, ask yourself, do I want to follow Christ? Do I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior? Do I want to commit my life to following him? Do you understand that you're a sinner? Do you understand that you are lost? That you, you understand you're under God's judgment? God offers you grace. God offers you mercy. God offers you his love. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this is the, the, the gospel in a nutshell, uh, told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever, that includes you and me and our neighbors, believes in him, will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He offers you eternal life. Open your heart to him. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we come before you this morning thanking you, Lord Jesus, that you are truly, you are exalted to the right hand of the Father. And Father, we've seen how to live a noble life and we've seen how to, how to waste a life. But Lord, I pray for anyone that's here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. They've never invited you to come into their life. They've never repented of their sin 
and put their trust in you. Lord, if you are tapping on their heart this morning, I pray, Father God, that you will open their heart and let them see the love, the grace, and the truth and the noble life that awaits them. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never been born again, I just want to ask you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to pray for you. If you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what you need to do. You need to say, God, please forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn away from the old life. And Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. Please come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I do this and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is your prayer, you say amen. Father, for anyone who prayed that prayer this morning to receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Father God, that you will seal the deal, that you will bring the witness of the Holy Spirit that they are a child of God. And I'll ask you to do one more thing. If that was you this morning, I want you to come up and see me during prayer time or right after service and let me welcome you into the family of God and pray for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your work in our hearts. Please continue to minister to us through this final song and in prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.